Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Good afternoon, or should I say good evening and welcome. Um, to those of you who have joined us, we have Leika Sharma, it looks like, in the room. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you for coming back, as well as others. It's brilliant to have everybody here. Um, and we're hugely thrilled this afternoon. It is our 56th book club session, and we are joined by Nimish Lad. We've been very, very excited about this one. A few of my colleagues have mentioned, have you really got Nimish on this evening? Yes, we have. You're going to enjoy this one. So thank you so much for joining us. And it's, I have the honour and the privilege to be able to um, just mention a couple of the things that you've done for people who, who haven't um, yet come across you or, or aren't aware of how much you, you do give back to education. So you are, I, and things change ever so quickly. So apologies if I'm slightly behind on some of this, but I think your curriculum and research lead for um, a multi-academy trust, you're also a vice principal in a secondary not school. anymore but yeah that change in January of this year unfortunately oh. out of the school now but that that's fine no problem <laughs> yes and I should have picked that up from the conversation we had previously but I suppose what that's uh, what that's also leaning towards is you are you work in a multi-academy trust at present as your curriculum and research lead but you have also been a senior leader you have held posts at all sorts of different levels including a uh, teacher of science where you began but a lot of your work is drawing on evidence-informed practice and sort of contextualizing that to within the classroom I suppose that really links nicely with what we do with this book club it's contextualizing the educational books that people have written and and bringing those into the classroom as well and, and helping to link the two so you've also been working in recent years on using technology to aid teaching and developing um, practices around uh, action research on that in schools and sort of collaborative curriculum development. I know you, you, you're um, on the presentations, you, you take that out to schools, you help to develop other schools and colleagues beyond your own trust as well. So, you know, you're very outward facing. And it's brilliant to see that our community, how it's pulling together in, in different ways. And, and if you haven't come across them on Twitter yet, then at NLAD84 is the place to go. And you'll see just how much he's doing um, for, for, for all of the colleagues across education. So thank you so much, Nimish. Hugely, hugely excited to have you here this afternoon. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand over to Dave, who's going to talk about um, why we're talking about your book, which is just obvious, it's a brilliant book, but how it links with the other conversations we're having and the section that he focused on as well to sort of draw other people's attention to this, this bit that we'll start the conversation around, but I know it'll go beyond that as well. And it's brilliant to see other people uh, that are joining us in the room live for this session as well. So thank you very much, everybody. Um, hello, and it's over to you, Dave. Thanks so much, Ree. And um, Nimish, we, we need people like yourself. Um, we, we read um, these um, amazing books and, and we were talking just before the session started about how um, it's really difficult sometimes as a classroom teacher uh, with the time that we have um, and, and our sort of expertise as well, I guess, in terms of how to, to read books and how to navigate and, and how to interpret what's um, written um, to really understand what that can look like um, in, in a classroom situation. And, and so to be able to have the opportunity to talk with yourself um, for this hour is just going to be hugely beneficial to us and, and hopefully others too. Um, but, but looking through the book, um, it fits in with the sessions that we've been having. We talked to uh, Jay Pierce recently um, as well, and we looked at one of the pieces of research um, in terms of the Marge model uh, that, that she had um, been looking at also. Um, and um, and it, it just sort of fits some of the conversations we've had in terms of how we can then um, take um, pieces of seminal research and, and think about sort of what it looks like for us. Um, as I went through the book, I thought this is just um, brilliant for, for being able to, to take away as a classroom teacher and go, right, I understand what um, what this is all about. It starts off by looking um, at the brain um, and thinking about what we know about how the brain works. And um, and it just it, it sort of breaks it down um, to, to a place where I was thinking, I really understand this. I really, I really get how, how this brain is, um, each, each compartment of, of this brain interacts and, and how um how how we think and how we learn and um and how our working memory and our long-term memory are connected and um and then these sort of suggestions of 
um, of how we can sort of get the most out of this um, wonderful machine that we've got and um, and, and the Marge model with um, the idea of uh, motivating, attending um, to, to information, relating, generating, evaluating, and maybe think motivating of um, the success and, and what I could do in terms of um, the classroom straight away, how I can help students to feel successful because that's going to be a real motivating factor for me when I was thinking about um, the attention, I was thinking about my explicit instruction uh, and making sure that I was pointing the students to the right details at the right times of my lessons. Um, relating, maybe think of stories and um, some of the sessions we had on the power of stories. Um, and, and this is before I've read the book, I'm just getting all these ideas already from this first chapter. And, um, and then generator was making me think of the deliberate practice. It was making me think of the Doug Lemoff teach like a champion, everybody writes. It was um, just connecting there. And these are all conversations that we've had before. And then um, the evaluation um, part, the evaluating, uh, maybe think of sort of revision processes that we might use in the work um, that we looked at with Helen Howe on the revision a revolution. And, and it was, um, I thought it was wonderful. And, and as I started to read through the book, I started to make a checklist. And then I read the last chapter where it says it's important not to just treat Marge as a checklist. <laughs> I was like, oh, right, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Uh, but it, it really made me reflect and think about my own disposition. As I was getting these takeaways, I was also getting a deeper understanding of how it sort of all interlinks. And I started to really feel like I was becoming more expert in, in what this um, piece of research um, gives us in terms of classroom experience. The way you've delivered this book, um, I guess is what I'm saying, is um, has helped me to really get it, um, if that makes sense. Now, there's going to be so much I still don't know. Um, and so, so I'm certainly not going in and I'm, Oh, I get it now. I get teaching now. But I, I read this and, and I just felt like, yeah, something clicked um, from reading it. And, and there's a real skill to be able to write um, and, and to enable a reader to be able to do that. So a massive thank you personally. Um, but that's sort of why we chose a book, because we feel that if that's something that's uh, happened for us, then it's going to be the same for other people. We, we would uh, think no doubt. So. So yeah, um, enough of me talking, I guess, um, because I take the session and, and we need to hear from you and, and get just, some, of, yeah, some of the ideas that, so that you that, have it's, it's, why you've written it's the book. You, it's rare that we, we get to be able to sort of talk openly about um, sort of like feelings about books and stuff like that. And as an educator, always compliments are the hardest thing to take uh, for myself. Just so genuinely, thank you for that. It was really nice to hear. Um, but as always with these sorts of things, when, when putting books or articles or blogs or things like that together you know my first mindset just as I was taught as a as a year 11 in the school always think of your audience always think of your reader you know when I was thinking about this I was thinking about early classroom practitioners um, but, but also people that are approaching something for the first time and therefore the, the structure of it is lent towards that where it's a broken down structure very carefully sequenced thinking about what it looks like uh, what, what actually is the idea? Why does it matter? What does it actually mean? What does it look like in action? Um, and then tying it all together with, well, classroom strategies around it. And, and even then, as I was putting the, the book together, and I'll be honest, it was a struggle. It was a real struggle actually writing the book in the first instance. I, I took it on during lockdown and I kept wrestling with writing too much, not being pithy enough, making it feel like it wasn't a, an actionable thing. It was more of a um, more of something that's away from the classroom. And then I, I drew it back in through those strategies. But I think one of the key things that I was really fortunate to stumble across, an idea that I sort of almost came across from talking with other people, was um, the tables at the end of each chapter, which just summarise what each chapter is about, each strategy, what it actually means in detail, um, and, and, how it's, um, and, and how it can go right what to focus on to make it go right but also definitely how it can go wrong because so many things can go wrong in so many ways so yes just just a large thank you for having me here today oh no it's an absolute pleasure and um i guess like the first bit that i, I was a little bit in sort of not particularly interested in uh, a little bit more interested in um than um sort of lots of lots of things i was reading was really connecting but i kept gravitating to this this bit where it said about not being a checklist and this was a, a, a sort of misconception i made straight away and, and I sort of read around a little bit more and the idea that sometimes one of these five would be more important than the other, might be weighted slightly differently depending on. Uh, I didn't know whether you had sort of any experience or any, any further um, that you could offer around that because because it makes absolute sense. And now I'm trying to translate into classroom practice. And as the novice, I'm thinking, well, I don't know which one's more important than when. And, and I just thought, I didn't know whether there's anything more you could offer around those thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting idea. And I'll use the example that you just gave a minute ago in terms of when you first came across Marge and, and the, the ideas that you're pulling out from sessions that you've had. Um, so the idea of storytelling you mentioned when you're thinking about relate, 100% storytelling, you're relating one idea to another. There's the development of 
of ideas that builds over time when you're reading a story. Now, the idea of storytelling within Marge sits firmly within the motivate side of things. So what that means is th these ideas that we're trying to pull on, these strategies that we're trying to pull on, actually, that they don't just activate one box. And therefore, it's, it's not worth thinking about it as one box. You know, storytelling will motivate people. They'll have that idea of, oh, cool, what comes next? You know, this is such a wonderful story, such a wonderful journey we're on. The next part of it, I'm sure, will be just as exciting in terms of the development of knowledge. However, stories repeat themselves often or when you read one story you can see relations to another story in, in many sort of ideas you know the, the hero's journey star wars etc all those sorts of ideas you can see relatable factors therefore if we were just to take the idea on a very checklist based mentality to say okay harnessing storytelling that's how we motivate students what we'll know it, it will also allow you to make a relational links between knowledge when you tell a story you highlight key facts in the story well that's attention that's attend so all these things do tie together if you have a good understanding of a story and you see similar traits coming again you'll go back to the idea of generate generating your own um, information your, your 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 own knowledge of an area and therefore improving your memory of it I guess the point that I'm getting at is while these strategies will focus on one area more than others, they do leak out. They do bleed into the others in, in a large way. Make me think a little bit of um, sort of when you're um, maybe teaching. Um, so both maths teachers here, um, Nimish. So we're both sort of thinking about our um, sort of isolated processes that we want to go through and the isolated steps within that. And we're explicitly teaching um, those steps in um, in, in isolation so students get it and then we start to become more expert and um, after conversation with David died out thinking about how we become more expert we start to make the links between or, or mark the course and, and teaching for mastery how we would start mm -hmm. to link some of those uh, pieces of knowledge that were now becoming automatic to us how we start to link to them together and it sort of feels as a teacher if applying this to the classroom that I might be doing a similar thing that I'm actually looking at each one of these in isolation at the moment I'm starting to understand how that might look in the classroom and then I start to see how they can link together and actually the story to tell you is flowing throughout it's not just a motivational thing that I'm going to say at the beginning of the lesson because I'm thinking of motivation as that first thing I want to do and maybe the pep talk at the end and the story comes back it actually flows throughout and I can see how it can link then to um, how I can relate it to other aspects of the mathematics and relate that story and, and that's where we become more expert and start to, to use that on that deeper level I don't know if that's sort of a, a fair interpretation of, of how we could use the model absolutely yeah ab absolutely that's a fair interpretation of it in the sense that um where where we can use this as a model for say teacher development and, and i know that there's been some interest from many parties around that idea to say okay cool we want our teachers to to understand this almost like um a sweets on a counter approach okay cool if you want to go down and motivate here are some top tips for motivating students rather than saying these are the only things you can do here are some potential ones and i know that there's been a consideration around that um and yes, I, I subscribe to that. But then what we've got to remember is that, okay, cool. If we're saying motivate sweets are our sour boiled sweets, if we're saying attend sweets are our soft, chewy ones, or well, some can be soft and chewy and boiled as well at the same time, I think, but there'll be more one than the other. And, and I guess that's the analogy that, that I'd use around it. And just to put it out there on the table, I have taught maths a couple of years in the past. What, as a physics graduate, I, I was pulled towards that direction a couple of times. So completely subscribe to anything when you ever go in the maths direction, sir. Yeah, oh, that's that sounds um, that sounds brilliant. Um, we, I don't want to sort of steal the conversation here, so if, uh, do feel free to sort of jump in if there's sort of anything in particular that that you want to talk about. But it's um, some of the techniques that that you um, sort of uh, subscribe to that you talk about um, in the book. I didn't know whether you wanted to talk about sort of any um, techniques that have been particularly successful in, in your own practice. Any that that you would say um, need to be used in very specific scenarios, or whether there's um, techniques that seem to sort of go span across subjects but I, I didn't know whether there's anything in the uh, particular techniques that, that you reference that you might might want to elaborate a little bit on for people listening and thinking well I want to go and take some of these ideas away now absolutely I think the, the one that I'll go to first there is taking a guided tour it's it's one of the things that I it's an analogy that I came across before I'd read Marge and it was one of the first things that drew me towards the paper when, when I actually read it the idea of um, that really um, almost like intentional process of pointing out the things that you want to point out, of taking your time and saying, well, this, this is important for this reason, um, and making the link between different ideas, I think is, is a really important thing to consider in education, but, but just in life in general, the idea that actually we walk past so much on a daily basis that we don't take in. 
And sometimes we just stop and take everything in. Like I know behind me, there's a wonderful, beautiful sunset happening right now. How often do I get to, you know, pause, take a photo of the sky, take that image in and, and just enjoy what's there around me. And, and it's the same thing with education. Sometimes we don't take that moment when we're blitzing through content to absolutely highlight to students the key bits that we want them to know, show them how they're interrelated, show them how that knowledge builds over time. Um, and, and therefore show them that actually the, the, the joy of the subject, you know, the, the, the real absolute joy of a subject. And, I, and whatever, whenever I think about this, I always think about the 2016 Key Stage 2 SATs, I believe it was a reading paper um, where it had the way of the dodo in there and, a, and the, the lost queen, I believe, was, it was another reading extract that they had in there. Um, and I'm always, always, always envious of um, anyone who gets to work in year six or, or any year six teachers, because I, I think genuinely they're the most intelligent people in the world they're, they're, in terms of education. They have to be, because when you look at one of those reading papers, any, anyone who's getting outstanding outcomes in, in, in year six reading is has to be ridiculously intelligent. And, and the, the way they do it is they're having to pull on knowledge of other subjects. So when you read one of these reading extracts, especially the ones I just mentioned, it talks about you know, words like monument and paradise and things like that. Well, you're, you're not going to be taught that as part of English as, as a subject or, or reading as a subject because they're not a subject in, in, in that sort of way. They're developed in different domains. They're developed in RE, geography, history, science, and you know, in some of these ideas. So what these members of staff have to do is be absolutely expert at signposting that way of working with students when they're reading text say okay yeah I, I know i haven't taught you this word but this amazing literacy spine that i've that, that you've been reading over these six years or however long it may be yeah you've come across them there absolutely these words are ridiculously important as part of your development of vocabulary and therefore that idea of being a tour guide be that for your literacy spine be that through the entire curriculum of a primary school i think so important to, to, to show so for me always the idea of, of taking a guiding tour of a curriculum is is paramount in terms of what I look for um, when, I, when I see excellent teaching taking place. You just see it, you, you visibly can see the teacher taking students on a guide, uh, on a guided tour, knowing when to pause and let them loose, guiding, fading away the practice. There's so many analogies that can come out of that. So yeah, a real, a, a real winner for me, taking a guided tour. And I think that can, <laughs> That's so true on so many different levels of how we work as well, with how we work with our students, how we work with our colleagues. Because if we think and, 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 and about that novice expert continuum, um, and so if we if we just expose students to something, we don't give them that guided tour, we don't know what they're going to be focused on. In fact, they'll just be there going, okay, there's this thing in front of me. What, what am I meant to be doing with it? We're not focusing their attention on the most important aspects to be attending to at that moment because we're able to translate it in a different way mm. because of our a more expert understanding of it um and it this sort of links for me with what mark mccourt was saying so in our very first book club session we were talking to him about how do we help students when it comes to problem solving and he talked about, he didn't say take them on a guided tour, but what, what he was saying was, he was saying, articulate your thinking, explain to them what you're doing, point out the decisions that you're making and why you're making them. And at the same time, if you think you might have gone, you've taken a left instead of a right on your guided tour, that's okay. Show them what it's like and how you overcome it, that you aren't always expected to get to know the exact route, the best route through the building at that time. It might be that you, you take a wrong turn, but it's okay because you can you can show them how to backtrack and go and, and go back onto the, the, the main line as such. And, and I think that's a, I, I know I might be stretching a little bit beyond at the moment, but I'm also thinking about it's the same when we're working with colleagues and say if we want to show somebody, uh, show somebody who's more um less experienced in a certain aspect a particular feature of somebody else's lesson if you just put them in that lesson we're not showing them what it is we want them to attend to or want to focus on we're not giving them that guided tour our expertise to narrate them through that curriculum either so it just it works on so many different levels that does and 
And I know you, you it, it's obvious when you say it and somebody explains it to you, but until you have this conversation, until you think about it in that way, and in such a succinct way as you described it then as well, then there isn't that shared understanding, there isn't that appreciation of it. So yeah, uh, that's a very, very powerful approach, isn't it? Yeah, and I still remember the uh, the first time I thought about it in, in in incredible detail, and it was actually in a situation where we were teaching staff. You know, we were we were tr- we were trying to deliver a package of CPD around a couple of areas. Um, we're mapping it over a year, and we're talking about how we're going to be using assessment to inform curriculum and all these ideas, and and just mapping step by step what needed to take place. So, you know, what does it mean to design a good formative assessment? What does it mean to do X, Y, Z? I remember thinking gosh this 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 is a curriculum that that i've devised here and i need to pinpoint exactly at which point i want certain people to be attending to certain stuff and that and that's where i got to the idea actually it's almost like i'm taking on the tour you know thought more about the the analogy of a tour guide came across margin and, and that's where i got to it and i think the, the other point that i like to raise just about what you're saying is all of this if, if this is a, is a whole brain approach to learning as shimura calls it all of this is equally as relevant to staff as it is to students that there is nothing magical that happens when all of a sudden we become a professional uh, around how we learn we learn the same way when we are adults as we are children we need repetition we need things explicitly pointed out to us you know we, we need to know what success looks like all those sorts of things you know yes uh, yeah, as, a, as an adult, AFL still works. You, you need to know, you, you need to get that feedback in. So you need to know what to do next. All these things are totally relevant still when you're uh, an adult compared to when you're a child. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of my biggest frustrations, if I must say so myself, that actually, what, you know, when we're older, we forget that actually people learn the same way as, as when they're adults. Feedback is, is important. And do you mind me just asking a follow-up question to that? So it's when you're doing your guided tour, would it be that you would, um, would you suggest that maybe you guide people around without explicitly signposting where they might have come across it before so you know where you're taking them? Or is it helpful to say and and explicitly link it to something that they've done before? It, 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 you know, are you going to share with them the certain things that you're doing, or are you just going to guide them through and 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 hold all of that yourself as well? And just thinking about that balance, I had a mm. conversation with somebody about this very aspect the other day, and we had we had differing opinions on it. It's, it's an interesting one. I think it's it's one of those where you're reading the room because sometimes you'll see that people will make the connections themselves. You'll see the light bulbs go off, and you're like, okay, but they're linking things to the correct ideas that they've talked about before. And again, just stressing almost the assessment for learning approach with staff. You've you've got to pick up what's happening in the room in that moment and see right, okay, that there's that enjoyable experience that they're getting that things are linking together. Cool. I don't need to stress the point. It's just going to ruin it for them if I do. Otherwise, and, and then sometimes you, you look at the room and you'll be like, no, it, it hasn't connected. I need to, I, I need to figure it out. I, I, I need to, to, to highlight it for them, how things are, are stitching together. And some of the best CPD I've ever seen is when people are using, they're talking about the use of mini whiteboards in the school and they're using mini whiteboards to model the use of mini whiteboards, right? I, I don't own shares in a mini whiteboard company. I know I've just said mini whiteboards three times in a sentence um, saying that, Actually, about 10 years ago, I really should have bought shares in a mini whiteboard company, genuinely. Anyway, getting back to the point, because um, what that member of staff was doing was reinforcing the idea of this is how we use mini whiteboards in the school to get whole class checks for understanding in place, to adapt the delivery of our curriculum based on what is being said. So the, the model of, of learning is being used to develop what we're learning about. The synergy there was insane to watch. It was possibly the best CPD I've ever seen at any point in my career. It was genuinely an absolute joy to watch. Um, and it came at the end of a very long academic year, which was last academic year. So that was great. I believe the week after an Ofsted inspection, which makes it even better. Um, so, yes, it was a, a really nice experience to watch this happen. So um, w- w- what was happening there was she was picking up from the crowd, from the staff, whether they were getting something or not, whether the connection needs to be explicitly pointed out or not. And therefore, it all comes down to, and I know it's a bit of a cop-out of an answer, you need to know what's going on. If they're making the connections, let them make the connections. If they're not, they need to be told. Otherwise, that's how misconceptions breed. That's how um, techniques that are not exactly the way that you want them implemented in your school would come about. Prime example, um, 
the, the phrase routines used when talking to staff. Quite often, if you're using the phrase routines, people think, oh, yeah, cool, behavior, right? That's what it's all about. No, 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 no. Routines are also around learning too. You know, what is the routine? Again, mini whiteboards. What is the routine for getting out mini whiteboards? What is the routine for how you're responding to feedback um, within the class? What is, what is the routine for how questions are asked within the classroom? You know, they're, they're all learning routines. So it's, there is that thing that we have to remember. And I think, I believe it's one of the points that I might have raised in the book or maybe something I read afterwards, but we pay attention um, to, to what our prior knowledge is, is activating. Our prior knowledge guides our attention completely. And therefore, if our attention is, routines are all based around behavior, then absolutely that's all we pay attention to. We won't pay attention to the fact that, hold on, this could be part of the learning process too. No, that is really, really helpful to hear, actually. Um, and I tried to set it up without giving you a, a, a really loaded question in telling you the sort of side that I was on with it as well, which was more, more difficult than you might imagine. Because so I gave I the think... politician's answer of sitting in the middle, right? Is that what I did? No, but, but, <laughs> but what you did there is is you just, you um, elaborated on and know you you impressed upon us the importance of those connections so however we help to facilitate the people we are working with be them students or colleagues because we are all learners in this process however we help them to make the connections it might be that they're through through the activity that they are making it or as as the people leading that we can help to support them to do that but it is really important that those connections are made and we as the tour guide are there to help them to make those so it, it wasn't at all uh, a, a politician's answer because I think I got from it exactly um, a, a, a really helpful answer to it because it isn't a an all or nothing approach it is Absolutely. that it's the the nuances and, and and how you are navigating that um in the middle that's really important and and that's the that that's the complexity that comes with the whole AFL approach, isn't it? That checking for understanding that that bit that that's the hardest bit to do. And that's the bit that we'll be working on all of the time forever, because how the more we do, the more possible connections we could see. But it's also choosing the most appropriate ones at that point. Not all of them, but which are the ones that are most important for the people in front of us right there. And I can't stress that point enough. Again. So thank you so much for making that point choosing the right thing at the right time is so important like ins insanely important to the point that i can't describe you know, i'm in in a really ridiculously privileged position of of being out of the classroom now i was part-time out of the classroom for, for 2021 from january through to december full time since january 2022 it means i get to see an awful lot of lessons and therefore, there's two or three things that I picked up. And, you know, here, here's my hot take on things that I think make a big difference when teaching, we're teaching as expert. Number one, choosing the right question to ask at the right time, using the right questioning technique. Uh, and invariably, I'm going back to where I've clearly got shares. It's mini whiteboards because it just tells you so, someone's going to approach me with a deal for mini whiteboards soon. They must. They must, especially after this. But, it, but the idea is, is essentially that... Um, the, the, the quickest way, and I know it's not a deep response you get from any whiteboards, but the quickest way to figure out whether students have got what you want them to have is via that process. That, that's number one in terms of the thing that I've, that I've figured out in terms of what or that I've seen makes a, a real high leverage difference within a classroom, the, the, the use of the correct questioning technique at the correct time. Number two, the, the, the slickness of routines that sit around these sorts of things. Okay. The, 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 the way in which people choose the right routine at the right time to make the biggest difference. They're, they, for me, are the, the, the biggest two. And the third one, of course, this is so important. And it, this all does tie back to Marge in some way, is teacher subject knowledge. And, and it's, it's incredible when you see someone who is slightly, feeling ever so slightly out of their depth in terms of their subject knowledge, the way it affects everything else they they do I, I once watched the same teacher back to back within a subject one where they they felt they were an expert in their in their subject knowledge for that that area for that specific topic and one where they felt they weren't the one where they were an expert they fired off somewhere in the region of 35 really quick snappy questions mini whiteboards cold calling think pair sharing 35-ish in, in about an eight-minute period of time with amazing effort, gathering all the information, giving really direct feedback. 
then the area where they didn't have that expert knowledge, so much rounding up of their answers, because it's almost like they were trying to confirm to themselves, this is what this means, because they, 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 their depth of knowledge wasn't there. So those are the three things, you know, ma massive, high leverage questioning, figuring out what the whole class know, very slick routines around around that process to, to remove the load from process and focus it on content. And then thirdly, teacher subject knowledge and the impact it can have on everything else. It almost feels like the 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 foundation upon which everything else is sitting. Bullet point one and offset implementation. You know, teachers have high subject knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. It's there for a reason. I don't think that's that's been poorly put as the as the, as the first bullet point. And where that ties back into March, well, without that subject knowledge, how can you give a guide at all? Okay, without that subject knowledge, how can you make an analogy to allow students to relate new knowledge together? You know, without those slick routines around questioning, around everything else that happens within a classroom, you can't get students using flashcards properly. You can't get students answering questions the way you want them to answer it. You can't harvest the information that you want from that room at the rate that you want it. And without great questions, well, you just don't know what students know. And therefore, you can't go through any of the process of motivating them, attend, getting them to attend to the right stuff, getting them to relate information together or, or anywhere near this idea of actually them learning. And of course, great questions all mean that you can evaluate how well they know stuff. So yeah, there's there's my hot take for the day. And I think it's and, and sometimes it might be it might be considered as being too simplified, right? But you you included that in in what you were explaining through there. So um, our teaching and learning lead, my line manager, um, Robin Seward, she would basically say to people, she said, "Look, your strongest teachers ask the most questions." So if you go around in your lessons, the lessons with the strongest teachers are the ones where they are asking more questions. So, you know, it, 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 it is a, as a general rule of thumb, it works. And because that's where the power really, really is in what you're able to leverage out of every single situation. It's not what you're saying, in a sense, is what you're able to extract from the students as well as, as you're going on that guided tour, because we can control what we say if we're in a less comfortable position, it's all about that control aspect, isn't it? And I'm, I know way too many times where I've controlled the situation way too much. Um, because when we are freer, when we are in our comfort zone as such, then we do let that go a bit because we know we can run the room. You know, we, we know we can manage that room and we can support those learners because we're focusing less on what it is that we're trying to do, but we're focusing on what we're trying to help them with. Yeah, and one of my colleagues talks quite often about the idea of the, the well-worn path within a classroom, you know, the, the idea of intentional monitoring um, or assertive monitoring, and absolutely the first lap, I'm going to do this, go to my strongest students first, et cetera, et cetera. And he talks about it so well, and it, and it always reminds me, of, well, actually, when we're questioning, how often are we circulating the room when we're questioning? How, how often are we asking the right questions at the right time? And just tying back to this whole idea that... Um, that, that learning involves a level of processing and that processing comes from, or sorry, that process is, processing is guided by our prior learning. Well, actually, if we're not asking the questions or the right questions, we're not activating the right prior learning and therefore students aren't adding to the right house. If you want to think of it as foundations of a house, you know, they'll, they'll be adding to the wrong house at the wrong time. And therefore it's so important that via all these processes, we have a code that we talk about in terms of what good teaching looks like, but also that, that code means that we can pull apart these little things, say, when we do this, we also need to do this. And while I just go, you know, wrap right back around to Dave's question about the checklist. Yes, I, you know, yes, this is not a checklist. However, elements of it can go into what, what we feel are, uh, it is our approach to teaching. And everyone has their own slightly unique one. Yes, we know holistically there is generally the right way to go about things. You, you don't go about doing guided practice before you model something to students, et cetera. But the, the idea that I've always thought with Marge is, like, like, like I've said before, you know, these are those key ideas. You know, I, I nicked that sweet analogy from another one of my colleagues who, who talks about these sort of things so well. But it is like these are the sweets that we need to sequence, you know, choose the, the best, most high quality sweets to make the, the, the biggest difference. I am just a magpie for other people's ideas, by the way. That's why I keep repeating what other people have said. Well, it's OK. Ron Berger talks about it as his toolbox. So it is, yes. I think, is an ethic of excellence, which is the very first book Dave chose for us in our book club. That was before um, 
we are in the format that we are in now. And it, he talked about having his toolbox and they're not his ideas. It's where he's acquired everybody else's tools. And then he looks at maybe how each one can be used. And every time he uses one, he learns a little bit more about it. So, you know, if it, if it works for him, I'm more than happy to do exactly the same thing. And Gemma Sherwood calls it purloining ideas. <laughs> and I quite like that word. She goes, can I purloin your idea? I had to Google it to look up what it meant. But There's yeah. another one that I've heard recently called copy with pride. I like that one, copy with pride. That's another good one. It's, it's a term from business, actually. They use it in business quite often. Um, I, I guess the, the point that I'm getting at there is, um, number one, I'm incredibly lucky to have worked with and continue to work with some exceptional leaders and teachers from which I've just seen what they do and seen how they think about things and use that to create my own code. But also not only work with some of these, just know some of them on a personal level, you know, some of the people that I've been able to, to meet and talk education about. And I'll, I'll be completely honest as a secondary practitioner, talking to some primary colleagues around these things, especially when writing the book, but then even more so post book and just talking about primary education. I've learned so much more about it. And if there are any secondary colleagues on the call that haven't had in-depth conversations about education with primary colleagues, especially around the science of learning, I would absolutely implore that they go and do that. Um, you know, my knowledge base has increased so much since I've discussed these ideas with people uh, and genuinely stolen their ideas. So, yeah. That's such an important point. Um, it, we've learned so much from our primary phase sessions as well with uh, with Laker and and the like. There's been so many sessions that we've had where where we've, um, yeah, just, just been able to connect so many ideas, but but then to be able to sort of really expand our, our understanding of, of education. Um, I've been writing my own flashcards while we've been doing this. Um, so I've been doing my own little um, in the marge here. And and the, the first thing I wrote down was our prior knowledge um, guides our attention. And uh, and it took me to uh, the tables that you've got. And it, it made me think about when you said adults learn the same way um, as, as students. And, um, and in your table, you, you basically you, you have a, a what it is. Uh, which sort of sets the scene. So this is the problem that we're going to be uh, working on here. Um, and then focus on, so that's like isolating the steps and, and how we can um, sort of, you know, um, offer that little bit of scaffolding and then be wary of, which is essentially, uh, for me, maybe think about the misconceptions that might arise and how you might talk about non-examples as you've given the model. And it's just that, again, that same way of um, sort of processing the information as, as um, students might do as well. And, um, and when I was talking about this sort of isolated uh, five aspects of margin then going into to link them together it, again this is what you'd be doing as you go from your deliberate to your purposeful practice in mathematics and um and it is it just all sort of makes sense and another another flashcard i made was um was the routines um that, that you talked about um how they're for learning too um and in our school um we um have um the use of microscripts and, and they're being incredibly powerful in a really positive way um the students are far more attentive because they know exactly what's expected of them, not with the behaviour, although it is for the behaviour too, um, but I'm focusing at the moment specifically on the learning. Uh, so we have a mini whiteboard routine where um, we say to the students that um, as they come in uh, for a low stakes quiz, they write down their answers on their mini whiteboards and after uh, we've taken the register, we will we will ask them to uh, get ready. Um, and as they, they get ready, what they'll do um, in my classroom is they will turn their whiteboards over, they'll have a part of their whiteboard touching the table and then we will say one, two, three, show me. And on the E of show me, they all show at the same time. But that, that routine, because they're really attuned to it and because they know exactly what's expected, it's really sharp. And so it goes up and you hear this sort of whoosh of the, the mini whiteboards and then you scan around and you can see really quickly um, where they are with the responses and you're able to then um, sort of give them very quick, immediate um, feedback, um, which is going you know, to be so much more accurate than if you didn't have that routine and a few mini whiteboards pop up a little bit later and then you've missed one and then uh, the, the person at the back doesn't put their mini whiteboard up because they, they see the chance to opt out and you just you, you haven't got that. And, uh, but that, that routine being so tight means that um, the students are, are getting the, the best deal possible. And, and so I just thought that was another really important point um, that, that's sort of come out um, there as well. And, and so I also wrote down really what you said about the, the strongest teachers asking the most questions as well, because it really made me think of a, um, my my year 11 um, high attaining students and, and some of the, the topics that I'll be doing. And, and there's particular topics where I feel confident with my mathematics, but they're, they're some of the, the sort of um, purposeful practice questions, they can be challenging. You get to, to a vector's question or a circle steering question and you haven't spotted where that link is, that could be difficult. And so even though I, I feel like I have the subject knowledge, I notice myself and, and the way that I ask my questions changing. And, and I just, yeah, I just wanted to sort of, you know, confirm that with my teaching too. It is um, certainly something I've observed with myself as well. But, but yeah, some, some fantastic ideas come out of this. Anyway, so just thank you so much for this. Really, really enjoying the session.
No problem. Thank you. And that, that point about question really resonated with me. You know, I mentioned that that one example that I saw of, of that one lesson. I remember walking out of that, going to see the head of the department afterwards and just turning around and saying, so, so this is what I saw. And as I was describing, I thought to myself, I would love someone to do a longitudinal study into this, into this sort of area. I mean, I'm, I'm really lucky that, you know, across my trust, we, we've done things like subject knowledge audits and we supported staff in subject knowledge development and, and things like that. Um, so, but it wouldn't be a longitudinal study in, in terms of if, if we were to go about to do anything like that. But I'd love, I'd love to see it because I genuinely think number one, subject knowledge is king when it comes to when it comes to a lot of these sorts of things. You know, if you know your subject well, you can answer and ask great questions on it. But also, um, it, it genuinely underpins so much of, of the teaching ideas uh, of, of what we do when we teach. If if you cannot, if if you don't have the knowledge to teach something in depth. You, you can't reframe it almost as you're going along. And it's it, for me, a lot of it comes back to this idea of the relate part of Marge, where you're talking about mnemonics to relate concepts. You're talking about making mental movies and metaphors and analogies and drawing schematic representations, finding the links between stuff. That all comes from a very deep, rich subject knowledge. And, and if, if that isn't there in the first place, it's, it's hard to narrate that thinking to others. And therefore, going back to that idea of a guided tour or harnessing storytelling, or even just asking aesthetic questions around that idea, that, that idea of the more human element of asking questions will be lost. Uh, and, and you won't be able to do it in the way that you wished you'd be able to do it. What it also reminds me of quite heavily from Marge, the idea of why subject knowledge is so important, is that whole idea of the illusion of knowing. You know, people have talked about the Dunning-Kruger effect and the statistical noise that sits around it. It, it might be a thing, it might not be a thing, but genuinely, I believe the idea of the illusion of knowing is that sometimes you've you've got a little bit about something, you think you know loads about it, um, you, you feel like you're expert, at it, and then all of a sudden you hit that point where you realise, oh, actually, I'm not, and it just nose dies off. I think in product development cycles, they call it the valley of death, pretty much, literally, because that's where things just go. But then um, it, it curls back up when you realise, actually, there's, there's a lot more to learn about this. And I'll be honest, when I started Marge, I, I felt cool. I'm at that point. Let me start writing. And then I felt the cliff drop. I'll be honest. When I wrote it, I don't think I was at the highest point of it purely because the time of writing was during lockdown. And I just got back out to go and see a whole bunch of lessons and start getting a lot of the inaction stuff back in into the book. If I was to write it now, having seen the number of lessons I've seen in the last you know, from September to September, gosh, there'd be so many different things in there. I'm very lucky to work with some very experienced and brilliant colleagues and therefore have picked up so many different ways of putting in place some of these ideas, like exploring new ideas and places, like aesthetic questions. I'm actually sat in the very school where the person who wrote the case study for aesthetic questions um, works. And, she, you know, she works here. She's, she's a great teacher. Went to see her again today, actually. And she just talks quite often about the idea with their students that if they think more deeply um, about what they're learning in science specifically that's their subject um, and, and think about it well what what does it mean to them they're more likely to connect with it they're more likely to want to more to learn more about it and I'll be honest I really struggled with that idea when I was reading the March paper I was thinking well in a subject like maths well how would you do that call it a writing or triangle let's talk about a ladder against a wall I, I don't know you know it's 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 that whole idea of Yes, there, there must be an aesthetic approach to this, but we've just got to find what it is and think deeply enough about it. And again, back to subject knowledge. Yeah, we had a really nice session with Dan Pierce, didn't we, um, where we looked at the, the beauty of mathematics. And um, and I've, I've just been um, reading the illusion of knowing um, section at the um, in the table uh, for, for the chapter on evaluate. And um, and you say about being wary of um, using rag activities that are based on students' familiarity with an area of knowing. Um, and I just think that's um, really important then for um, staff too, just like you were saying, we were thinking the same way. And um, Dan Piercy mentioned um, that idea that if we are looking for our professional development of what we what we might want to, to work on, then um, it's really difficult to to do. It's easy to say, but it's really difficult to do. But to choose those topics that maybe we we find the most challenging, we like the least, um, and and to try and find where that beauty might be in that, where we can find that um, sort of mathematic uh, mathematical challenge, where we can really grow ourselves in terms of being that complete uh, mathematician with our subject knowledge and. And I think that just comes back to the point of um, of making sure that we're not focused on um, on looking at what our prior knowledge is and then our attention going there, um, finding mechanisms, finding ways that, um, that that force us to to look away from what we know and to to start to really hone in on 
on what we don't know and it's easy to say and sometimes harder to do so um so yeah it's uh, i think it's a really good point that you, you raised there as well yeah the, the illusion knowing is a, a really interesting idea that that whole idea of um ragging it sits again with this idea of self-reports and you know sometimes there is a place for self-report because there's no other option therefore you remove every other mitigating factor around self-report you know for, for example filling in a survey quite often is self-report but you need the information for x y z reasons so therefore you've got to find a way to make it work um ragging i think well if it's there's an element of self-report always in there however if you link it to a really simple assessment if you link it to you know multiple choice questions or something like that which i think are some of the ideas that i discuss in the book um absolutely that's an easy way of preventing the whole idea of cool i think i know this i'm not really sure um actually no we, we want to know i know this or i don't know this yeah sorry i was um yeah i'll, I'll keep going for otherwise i was i was and uh, don't worry i'll bring you in for the takeaway soon what i was thinking is um when you were talking nimish and you were saying that there when when you wrote the book you were in a different you know you feel that your depth of knowledge and understanding of it is is richer now um and i think but that's that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't have written the book if you hadn't have gone that through that process but i also think the conversations with your colleagues wouldn't have been possible in the same way if there hadn't have been that book that prompt that opportunity to share the thinking and have that um, sort of shared understanding at what the point that you're starting your conversations from that it can build on from there and that's what Doug Lemoff talked about in his when, when we had our session with him as well he said look there are some ideas there and people will have discussions about them but at least it's giving them a language to be able to talk about it or it's helping to guide them through the journey that they're taking with um sort of with their understanding of marge and the aspects that are applicable to them or the ways that they're using it as well and it's it's that start somewhere but i also fully appreciate that it's also it's it's a really scary thing to put your words down on paper and share them with your colleagues at the same time. It's it, it's one of those, how is it going to land? But it's it's landed incredibly well. The conversations that you've had with your colleagues, the ones that we've had with each other and, and that are happening across the education community wouldn't have been possible if you hadn't have put that time into it. So what, what am I doing there? I'm thanking you for doing it and also saying, you know, a snapshot needs to happen at some point. Yeah, the and journey needs to start somewhere. It was a brilliant position to start from. Thank you, thank you so much again for that. And yeah, I, I don't take compliments well, Miss. So thank you very much. But yeah, but the the idea um, uh, around that that you're saying there about it providing a code essentially is the way that I talk about things. Codifying a process. Like you know, we we know that we can codify certain parts of of any process if you want. We know that certain parts of that code have to be flexible based on what's happening in front of you. And I think that's. What, what Marge did, that the work that um, that Shimura did around this allowed that to happen. Um, I, I remember talking with him, unfortunately, just before he passed, which was as the book was being written, which is why um, Dan Willingham had to write the, the foreword in the end. Um, and, and Dan Willingham and, and Arthur Shimura were, were really close friends um, from everything Dan was telling me. But the, the ideas that he put together, he was very wary of the fact that he had never taught in a school um or, or you know he never taught up to k-12 as he was, always used to say to me because he was um in america and, and hawaii um he, he talked um about the fact that this was around university lecturing and, and what happened there however he always saw there was an application for it in in the classroom in terms of in what we would call a secondary or what they would call a high school um, and therefore, I was really um, fortunate and, and really privileged to be in a position to start doing that um, and work with him closely on it in, before he passed. And it was a it was a really interesting set of conversations that we had around his thoughts around this and where, where it led to more than anything else, which, again, just comes back to this as not a checklist idea, is the the developing the learning aids thing. You know, the, the bit that I go through in the back where it's you know, how this could potentially help with knowledge organizers, how this can help with sq3r which is a process that he subscribes to in, in, in a big way how this can help with cornell note taking or the Feynman technique and i know that with him being both a fan of the arts and a scientist of course he'd love richard Feynman and, and the work that, that he did and you know the idea that actually 
if we identify a subject, if we think about it like we teach you to a child, if we identify and fill our knowledge gaps, and if we organize and simplify and tell a story, you know, motivation, as we know, comes from, can, can come from telling a story. The process of identifying um, the subject focuses the attention. So, right, it's this area that I'm going to script this explanation around. And crafting it makes them a better learner as part of that process. Um, through that idea of um, teaching it using simple language, we can actually make relational links um, between certain areas and generate new knowledge because we're trying to make it as simple as possible. And when we organize and simplify ideas, you know, Shimura talks about the idea of the three C's of compare, contrast, and categorize. This completely um, lets you do that, this idea of the famous technique. So I'm a big fan of the ideas that he discussed um, specifically around SQ3R, the famous technique. I put in their corner note taking and, uh, and knowledge organize as well because I think genuinely they're, they're, they're key strategies that can make a massive difference. I'm absolutely wonderful. Um, like I've just I've been scribbling so many notes down. Um, in terms of the takeaway, I've got to try and narrow this down now uh, when it does come to that time. Uh, one thing that <clears throat> I was just thinking um, as I was listening to that is uh, with the, the sort of self-report, was thinking about is it the hypercorrection effects? If I've got that right, the idea of um, students uh, maybe sort of feeling really, really confident in something and getting it wrong feels like somewhere where um, that student report could also be um, sort of somewhere... Um, of, of benefit but i think you're absolutely right that the students um and staff alike maybe don't know where where their strengths are and it's a good starting point for them to to really be able to have a, a sort of true reflection to to have an idea of what they think they know um and then to to direct um the the staff and students alike to um to to what the pieces of, of knowledge and, and information and processes that are, are going to be um the most supportive in terms of improvement practice i think is um is, is certainly um sort of the way that i would um be approaching um that too so so yeah just really really sort of um soaking it all up at the moment the um i, I mean i'm going to move towards my takeaway that's right really, just because um and then and then you can sort of, of talk about um, yours afterwards because um as i as i've been scribbling um the connections that i'm making here is a session with robin mcpherson um who, when he talked about the the teaching life that, that he wrote with kate jones and uh and career progression and about um how you need to be trying those uh, jobs which um uh, within within the the teaching profession that, that maybe you don't feel as comfortable with and um, and sort of raising um, your own awareness of what you can do and, and where your attention lies um, and uh, and what your prior knowledge is um, and that connected them with the Dan Pearcy as well in terms of subject knowledge um, and so so I think um, for me what I'm, I'm going to be doing at the end of this session is is looking and, and seeking advice but looking to try something completely new um, and and see what it is that I don't know um because at the moment i don't know what that is um and, and i think that that will then help me to become a more accomplished and broader and, and better teacher um and so so that's the thing that i'm going to be looking to take away is going to seek something an experience or a, um, a part of a role uh, which i have very very little um knowledge of maybe little interest in um as well but but by doing that hopefully um my, my understanding will build and my motivation will build and i might find something that i really like as well but uh, but that's what i'm going to be taking away um as, as well from from the session so so yeah just a sort of a, a massive thank you um from me Ria, i didn't know if there's anything that you wanted to to add as as well um sort of things that you've taken well in interestingly <laughs> enough i'd also noted down our session with robin mcpherson because when nimish talked about um professional networks and how yes we learn in our own classroom but we learn from others as well and it's it's the formal and the informal it's the it's the planned and the unplanned opportunities that that happen all at the same time or all at the same time that all come together to to help us to continually improve and, and continually develop and i am going to keep coming back to that idea of being a guide mm. and 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 doing that guided tour and I think if I if I link it with what you were saying there, Dave, about you taking yourself out of your comfort zone and going and looking at something new, what that will do is that will put you in the path of being a novice again. And it'll put you in the path. Of, and we also we keep saying that or I keep saying that um, success helps with motivation. So if you feel you're being successful and you, if you feel yourself developing in an area, you are going to be more motivated at it. You are going to enjoy it. And being back in that position of being a novice also will help to remind us of what it's like to be guided by somebody else. And yes, we'll see some aspects of the guiding process that maybe haven't been so good, but we'll also pick up on 
approaches and, 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 and different techniques that other people use at the same time and be able to bring that knowledge back to help us be better guides in what it is that we're doing in whatever it is we're doing, whatever aspect of work we're doing. Uh, like you, Nimish, I, I am now out of the classroom at the moment and I have this unbelievably rich opportunity to work with such a diverse group of colleagues in so many different ways. And now I feel almost less confident to stand up in front of people and share ideas because my toolbox is so much bigger. There are almost too many different tools from different people that I might suggest that they use. And so it's, I need to go back and I need to think again about how I might guide others through those tools at different times and remembering which bits to focus on rather than me seeing the huge, the bigger picture that I have, how I can help guide other people through in all different layers of, of the work that I do. And, 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 and oh, it's such a powerful message. You might have picked up from that just a little bit. I've talked about that almost as much as you've talked about whiteboards today. So thank Excellent. you. Thank you so much. There are takeaways. Um, so I, I didn't Can I actually put it as well myself? Because I, yes. one of the interesting things I've learned is whenever I talk about this, there's always something new that I take away from from whatever I've been discussing. Because you know, whenever I talk about an idea, I always try to make it drive my thinking. I try to make it. I try to keep my thinking as malleable as possible. And the, the one that came out today, it, it's not many whiteboards. It's not the AFL point. It's it's not all the other things. Because genuine i think the whole checks for understanding thing is, is something that's really important it, it's not one of those three things that i was saying in terms of that i think are the highest leverage strategies what it is is it comes back to the point and, I, and it was i think it was the first card that you wrote down dave which was about the, the fact that prior learning guides our attention and as i was saying i almost had this moment in my mind of thinking about um inside jokes in like tv shows like when you when you're watching a tv show and it's like cool i get that joke because you know i get that to, to quote captain america from one of the avengers films i get that reference but but also to to quote the Leonardo dicaprio meme where he whistles and points at the tv screen it's, it's that moment isn't it and actually just thinking back to the guided tour thing that's the moment that light bulb moment i was talking about you know that's the thing isn't it that's where they're like oh i get that I get, and that's that's learning absolutely right there that's learning in a bottle and we want as much of that to happen as possible where they see that reference and actually it's it's weird what when i was because I, I was thinking we're coming towards the end of the hour right now and and this this sounds really strange but for this entire hour i could have been dropping references to certain things or or inside jokes with someone else and nobody would know, apart from me and that person, I haven't, by the way, but me me and that person would be the only pe pe people that would know, right? And interestingly enough, that's exactly what could happen in a lesson if we're not careful. Like, absolutely, that could be happening all the time in all our classrooms. We could be saying loads of things, and we've been asking questions of one student, and we understand how they get it, and therefore everything is pitched at them. And therefore, that whole idea of, of getting enough prior knowledge of, of students in our class so that we can direct their attention towards what it needs to be directed towards is vital. I'm guessing someone's going to listen back to try to find all the inside jokes in this right now. Like watching a children's cartoon as an adult and picking up on the... Absolutely, Bluey is the one. Oh, that was incredible. Thank you so much, Nimish. It has been no an such a powerful and rich conversation this evening and we really really appreciate your time um oh yeah Dave I know you're going to want to say thank you um but I will also say it's something we're not very good at with one another all the time is thanking and showing gratitude and giving praise so you know we're always likely to go around and look at other ways that people can keep developing and moving on forwards so it's why it's nice every now and then I think to remind each other of what we have done and appreciate those moments at the same time so it's something we actively try and do because we don't hear often we don't hear it often enough in the work we do because we're always striving to improve so thank you so much for that and for giving us your time today and and Dave I know that you'll want to say a goodbye before we close before, before Dave jumps in I'll just jump in and say it as well then so 56 episodes is incredibly impressive so thank you so much guys for the work that you're doing out there um, I take on board the point gratitude 100 it doesn't happen enough in this profession um 
there, there's so much that you yourselves do in terms of spreading the word of some amazing educators. You know, I still remember every single time I come across someone on on Twitter or come across an idea, I think, oh, cool, they've done a GOT book club. I need to go back and listen to that. So, so many of them that I've gone back and listened to time and time again, purely because of the work that yourselves have done. So thank you so much. Oh, that's so kind. And uh, and, and I know you don't like the confidence too much, so I just say the book's all right. It's, uh, we've Cheers. done a few things. All right, I'm just going to leave it now. I'm joking. Yeah. I'm joking. It's been absolutely wonderful to get to talk to you, just to, to really get my head around sort of how I can apply some of these things. I'm that um, person as well, by the way, that I'll be in uh, in the, the pub on a Friday night and I'll be um, assuming no knowledge. So with my jokes, I'll be explaining every single one of them. Um, I don't get invited many times now, but um, but I'll be that person. I don't assume prior knowledge and, uh, and we'll explain all of them. Um, no, uh, Nimish, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, we have learned loads. We have got some really... So we were motivated now with those takeaways to, to go and really try something new, um, to, to think about um, the, the model itself and what it looks like in our classroom to, and there'll be other people listening to that will, that will have ideas that they want to take away. I've just seen a comment from Laker in the chat as well um, that, that the cogs are wearing. And, and it's just lovely to think that um, at, at all levels of expertise that this book offers something for people to take away and go, right, I'm going to try something tomorrow. Um, and, and that's what it's all about. So just really really thank you for helping us um to to understand what we do that little bit better we we really really appreciate it yes no problem thank you so much for having me